This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. June 16, 1976, changed the course of South African history. It had seismic consequences, not only for both those who participated in this act of rebellion, but also for those who witnessed it. Janet Goldblatt was 12 years old when her life changed forever. Her dad, Dr. Melville Edelstein, was caught in a crossfire in the violence. A social worker, he was heading up social welfare in Soweto and was loved by that community. Janet joins me now to tell me about that day and about her life subsequent to that. Janet, uh, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. You were one week away from your bat mitzvah. The news must have been horrendous, life-shattering. Yes, it was for me and my sister Shana, um, who's only 17 months younger than me. Um, and it was absolutely, I remember I was driving home with my mother from the tailor. We had gone to have my dress for the bat mitzvah. We had it fitted. And at the times, we, in those days, we had massive bat mitzvahs. So there were 63 of us from King David Lingsfield High School. And um, the bat mitzvah was to be held at the Bormans Synagogue. And we were on our way back from the tailor got home and the phone rang and I went to answer. Those days we didn't have cell phones and news didn't travel as fast. So it was the reporter from the Daily Mail who said, is your mommy home? And I said, yes, she was in the lounge. And they said something about well, my father. They said, you know, they obviously then realized that we didn't know anything. So I went to call my mother and the next thing she was like, fell onto the bed because the phone was next to her bed. And she, she did, they had told her that, um, my father had been in a riot, caught up in a riot. They did not tell her that he had passed and he had, because this was four in the afternoon and he apparently died at 11 a.m. And we didn't know. And then my aunt came from around the corner and my sister and I were taken to another auntie. So we weren't caught up in all of this drama. And um, my auntie was phoning John Foster Square. She could not get information. And at 6 o'clock, two men as representatives from um, the West Rand Administration Board knocked on the door and gave my mother the official news. One of them was Marnie Mulder. Anyway, so... You know, and then a week later was my bat mitzvah, but our house was within a moment of that news, all reporters, a whole lot of rabbis. My father was a very religious man, and um, our house was filled with people. And I remember my sister and I were at my aunt's best friend and getting a lift home, and I kept saying to her, Mavis, is my father okay? And she said, whatever happens, Janet, you're the oldest in the family. So whatever happens, you have to take care of your mother and your sister. And I just, obviously in my heart, I just knew. We arrived back to, I ran into my bedroom, closed the door, my sister. In fact, it's on the front page of the Daily Mail. There's a picture of my sister being, you know, hugging my mother. It's actually a beautiful picture, very sad. And um, I then do remember that, that evening, there must have been at least 15, 20 rabbis at our house because of my father who was so involved in the Jewish community as well. 
And I do remember saying, like, wow, my father was such a good man. And um, who can answer that question even today? But um, another amazing story I just want to share, because I don't know. I mean, I've told this story so many times, even at the Truth Commission and everywhere. But an amazing story, because we are on high FM as well. I just want to say that um, when I went to the Truth Commission, and I actually mentioned this this morning to somebody I was talking to, when I went to the Truth Commission, they asked me, Bishop Tutu, and you know, they said, what would you like as reparation or whatever you want to call it? And I said, you know, it's not money. It's some kind of honoring of my father, you know. Hector Peterson, and yes, he, you know, died on the same day, but something to recognize so the work that he did. He wasn't a perpetrator, and he was never regarded as such. And we waited 40 years but why I actually worked it out this morning, why we waited 40 years, because, and this really makes me emotional, because it was the same day as my sister's child's bar mitzvah. And my father was a very religious man, and he would have given anything to be there. I'm sure he was at my bat mitzvah, because I did eventually go to Walmart Street Shore. But you know, we had a bar mitzvah in Soweto. I don't know how many people know that. On the 16th of June, the our rabbis, a whole lot of my friends, family, drove into Soweto on the morning of the 16th, and my nephew, Levi Rosenthal, which is my sister's child, had a bar mitzvah in Soweto. And I actually just realized this morning that that's why Hashem waited 40 years, because my father, I mean, I got cold, actually, when I tell the story right here, you know, and that that's an important story today. Um, is how we carry his legacy and the privilege that we had in that way and celebrated it with so many people. And that's what my father would have wanted because he was not a political man. He couldn't stand politics, but he believed in everyone had the right to exist and everyone's lens on the world counted. So he was friendly with Afrikaners in those days who were part of an apartheid movement like John Foster, the, the government. And of course, all those amazing African people and children and their parents that he fought so hard for. And he was fighting for humanity and an, an equality, not left or right wing movements. He wasn't interested in fighting with anyone. He was a peacemaker at heart. Today we have our la- a lady, Sina Mabiletsa, who was our, um, she was our nanny when we were growing up. She's still in my house today. She's 90. She, she brought me up. She brought my children up. And she doesn't want to ever leave. And that's because she was always made from day one, even in those days, to be part of the family. Um, she was never seen as different. And that's the key, you know. It's, anyway, that, that's the beautiful story I, I'm really happy to share on, on, on Chai FM because it, it makes meaning. And, and that's what one needs to do is to make meaning of, of these events. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, and Janet, I have tears. I really have tears in my eyes. Um, it's, it's a very moving story. And, um, there's also a plaque where your nephew had a, a plaque was unveiled. Do you want to tell us about that plaque? That was the plaque, which is just honoring my father 40 years later. Um, I'll, what I'll do is after this, you can, I'll send a picture of it to you. I have a picture. 
um, just to say that he gave his life. He, he, it was his life. Every day of his life, he got up and drove to Soweto. He had no fear. And uh, because this was his purpose, he lived, he's a man who lived his purpose. There's no question. His purpose, he could have been anything, he was a highly intelligent man. He could have, I don't know, been a medical doctor, so many, because he's Dr. Edelstein, so many people thought that. But he, he was interested in psychology, he was interested in sociology, and how social systems are integrated or not, and what brings them together, and what tears them apart, you know. And that's was his, you know. Janet, you said you only found out that evening that your father passed away. Do you know what actually happened on that actual day? Well, yes. What happened on that day is he'd gone in like a normal day to work. He dropped my sister and I off at school, said goodbye, any normal day. And um, a riot had broken out, and he actually started driving out. He had a secretary, Perrette Jacques, and he was worried she would get caught up in it, so he went back to fetch her. She had already left. And, you know, um, the stories that we've heard is that they didn't know it was Dr. Edelstein that came into his offices, that burnt his office, burnt his car. It was he died in a very in a horrific way. Stone burnt as, you know, and that's what happened. The impact of that on your entire life, what has that been? In terms of your career, in terms of your life philosophy? Well, my career first today, I, uh, my main practice is in family and systemic constellations work, which is all about transgenerational trauma and how we, um, how we carry that on behalf of our families. And even about six, seven years ago, I was invited to facilitate a process in Auschwitz which was families of perpetrators and victims for five days with an amazing German man who is one of my teachers, and he did not want to be a facilitator. He said he wanted to be a participant. And so what is my work today? It's about reconciliation and reconciling with victimhood, perpetrators, with war, inner war. And I do I work with an organization called YPOs. I do a lot of leadership development work. I work in companies, culture, but it doesn't matter whether I'm working with culture in an organization, whether I'm doing personal development, coaching, I'm always coming back to the same theme of um, personal self-worth, loving oneself, loving one's. My, my latest statement is it's no longer about this or that. This comes from one of my other teachers at Thomas Hubel. No longer about this or that. It's about everything and everyone. That's my focus is, is what my father's focus is about bringing people together and loving everyone. It doesn't matter what color, religion, race, left wing, right wing, you know, that needs to go. It's old school and we need to start working together out of love. My last question to you is Wednesday when we commemorate what is now Youth Day. What will you be doing? What, where will your thoughts be? I think this will probably be the first day, I'm not doing anything outside of of my family um, or any events, but just spending it with our family, honoring my dad. Um, my mom is still alive, thank God, 86. So I think we'll just celebrate life because, you know, we've been, it's been two years in, almost in lockdown. And... Um, with COVID, et cetera, as well. We're not so, we're not running around. But I think what we will do is spend with very close friends and family and just celebrating life 
and um, what we have and our children and just so grateful for, I'm so grateful because I look at my own children, my, my oldest son is very religious, he's um, he's in yeshiva every day, um, also studying psychology and, and my other children really imbue and embody everything that my father taught and I see how my children are and my sister's children. Um, it's something that is passed down. It's a teaching you can't visualize. It's, it's, it kind of becomes a part of who you are in your DNA. And it's such an asset to all of us. And I've married a man, thank God, and my sister did who the same. Um, so I think that we'll have a glass of wine and celebrate that and celebrate that we're all still alive and well, healthy, um, still have my amazing mother. Who, who raised us there after in difficult circumstances. And I think that's that's probably what we will do, um, to be honest. And we always give some charity in his name. Janet, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a really a privilege to talk to you and hear your story. And, you know, if, you know, it's nice to concretize the past as well with what, what it means. And it's not just some day that we, you know, get off work and school or whatever. So, yeah, thanks for imbuing that with your personal story and with the meaning that it's given you. Thank you very much. That was Janet Goldblatt, who was 12 years old when her father, Dr. Melville Edelstein, was caught in a crossfire on the 1976 June the 16th uprising.